To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody, welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. And hello, everybody. So wonderful to be here. It is. It is. And we're as right before we were recording this, I said, uh, you know, well, don't you know? The last discussion we had was rather heavy, and I thought, um, don't worry, the next one's going to be chill, nice and light. We're just going to discuss the meaning of life. <laughs> uh, and then also, uh, we're going to talk about Chapter Thirty-Eight of the Tao Te Ching. And I have an article here, which is about the Tao of Anxiety. If I can mm-hmm. get to this piece of preparatory work. We're getting anxious. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we can hardly wait. <laughs> That's what my son does if I give him like a, a piece of food and it's kind of hot. He's <laughs> he this weird blow on it thing. And, Hey, cracks that, me up. That works. I do yeah. that too. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it sounds like he's 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 gonna die. No, he's like, gasping for breath. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Like, calm down, buddy. You're gonna hyperventilate. How old is he now? Oh, how many months? Two years, two years and of, seven two. months. Two and a half. Two and a half. Wow. Oh yeah. Time flies. Oh yeah, he'll be a three-nager soon. <laughs> and that's how people screw with you because you realize as a parent that people have been lying to you about everything your whole life. They go. Well, you know, it's fine, but then once he turns one, blah, 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 then he, he turns two, that's when it gets really bad. Then once he turns two, they go, no, no, two's not the problem. Then they become a three-nager. <laughs> like, really? They just keep saying, oh, no. The same person will lie to you and say, oh, no, it all gets better at this point. Once you get that point, oh, God, no. You run for the, he'll sell the kid. You know? Drop him off at the fire station. It's not too late. The terrible twos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The uh, I don't know what the threes are. <laughs> yeah, three nager and then a four nato or something. I don't know. Gosh, what does it make us? The, yeah, <laughs> terrible seventy. You know. I'm I'm the satanic forty one. <laughs> How a fourth century Taoist concept is treating anxiety, and this is from a website called The Big Think. I uh, truncated this so. Mm-hmm. It's not too long. Consider one of Lao Tzu's most famous aphorisms. The Tao does nothing, and yet nothing is left undone. The nothing is Wu Wei, often translated as non-action. Wu Wei is not forcing, is what we mean by going with the grain, rolling with the punch, swimming with the current, trimming sails to the wind, taking the tide at its flood, and stooping to conquer. They compare the practice to Judo and Aikido, two martial arts that teach seasoned practitioners to use their opponent's force against themselves. Which is why Nick Hobson, a research psychologist and lecturer at the University of Toronto, recently suggested implementing Wu Wei as an antidote to our rising rates of anxiety and depression. 
Instead of pinpointing a singular cause for our growing dissatisfaction with our lives, he points out the reasons are myriad. Smartphones, sleep deprivation, a lack of meaningful social connection, and not enough movement. He doesn't mention diet, although plenty of research implicates bad eating habits as well. While the causes are many, Hobson points to our penchant for overanalyzing every situation as the elephant in the mind. Instead of holism, a cognitive trait he associates with Eastern psychology, we choose the trees over the forest, leading to an obsession with overthinking. Western rule-based reasoning leads us to believe that every problem has a solution. Research and cognition and narratives have shown that when we aren't offered a resolution to a story, we'll invent one, often to our own detriment. Your, part your partner is cheating on you if they, <laughs> if they haven't texted. Well, the reality is anything but. When we're not provided an answer, we tend to overanalyze the situation, heaping anxiety upon anxiety. Which is why Hobson suggests two Lao Tzu-era practices to calm our overactive imaginations. Wu Wei is the first, which he says means we shouldn't hurry to action. While he prescribes to not do anything at all, Hobson recommends intuitive style of thinking to chill our overanalyzing minds. Meditation and visualization exercises are two ways of rerouting our mental habits. But basically the idea is that... Um, uh, just yeah. For example, say, oh, my wife hasn't texted me. That means she hates me, right? <laughs> so for, oh, first of all, all that happens is she hasn't texted. There were a billion reasons why she couldn't text it. And the funny thing is, it probably has nothing to do with you because we think the whole world is thinking about us the whole time. <laughs> we think the whole world is thinking about as much as we are, and they're not. It's often comforting. I'm thinking like, no one cares about you, Todd. I often think that, you know. Yeah, they're consumed with themselves. <laughs> yeah, like no one's, I mean, obviously there's people that care about me, but when, well, people aren't walking through their day thinking about what I'm doing. And I'm like, that's very freeing. Yes. Right? And that's a, a, a thought that doesn't lead to anxiety. You're like, you know, maybe, oh, maybe I said something wrong to this person today. Maybe they're walking around thinking about it. Think, no, they're not. Most of the time, they're not. <laughs> they don't care. They're thinking about themselves, they, you know. So and so, yeah. The idea is that yeah, that anxiety comes from us trying to fill in the blank. Which again, as we talked about in the last show, we just keep coming back to this: is that being comfortable in the vagueness, yes. and not doing anything, and not projecting into the future about it, and not because then we get go into an anxiety spiral. Why isn't she texting me? Is it something I said? Is it something I did? Has she fallen out of love with me? Uh, is her phone broken? <laughs> it, you know, maybe she's, maybe she's busy, you know? <laughs> Reminds me, I just uh, was looking at the cover of that great uh, Richard Pryor album. Is it something I said? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Don't give me a Richard Pryor, I love. He's like on the Mount you Rushmore. Know, He's like a god. comics, oh, yeah. Oh, no god. doubt about that. Yeah. You know, here he is on, on the cover of this album. You know, he's like tied to a stake and there's people in hoods getting ready to start a fire. Right. And he's going, is it something I said? <laughs> right. Yeah, I love it. And, and you know what came out of that man's mouth? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot. Every second. Yeah. 100% irreverent. Should we just do a show irreverent. where we just listen to Richard Pryor? <laughs> That'd be great. The Tao of Richard Pryor? <laughs> and, you know, we were talking about uh, Wu Wei. You know, in fact, as we sit here, I have this game in front of me called Wu Wei. One of my students, one of my black belt students, has put together a game that it 
involves a lot of these concepts of mm -hmm. martial arts and Tao and Zen and strategy and so on called Wu Wei. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wu and, Wei, the journey of the changing path. Yeah. There, there's a plug. You can Google that. And the guy who made it, I met before. Yeah, and he was Justin a, Waggle. Sw swell guy. Swell yeah. guy. I had a good, real good time he calls chatting it, with him. his company Gray Wolf Games. And I think that's their website, graywolfgames.com. Something like okay. that. Okay. Great game. Yeah. Because it's a way to, in a fun way, that engages and teaches a lot of these points that we are discussing uh, mm -hmm. on the show. And in the rule book, you know, you'll see quotes from Lao Tzu and Zen quotes and things like that. So yeah. it's, a, it's a terrific game. But, you know, as a, as a clinical psychologist, of course, I am confronted with anxiety all the time. Mm -hmm. That's probably the number one reason that people come to see a psychologist. Yeah. Is that they have a mood problem, a mood disturbance, either anxious and or depressed in some way. They're not satisfied. They're unhappy with something about themselves or their life or their relationship or their job or something, mm -hmm. something. Um, and wh where are the sources of these feelings of anxiety? Where do they really come from? Do they come from not knowing? Mm. Do they come from... Um, being confronted with things in our lives that uh, we can't avoid and the fact that we can't avoid certain unpleasant realities makes us anxious or fearful? Mm -hmm. Do they, Does it come from a sense of not being able to just be in the present moment without expectations and be comfortable with that ambiguity, whereas, of course, they're uncomfortable with that ambiguity, mm -hmm. needing something, someone, some idea, some identity to cling to. Yeah. Um, now, we also know, by the way, that in the human, remember, we're in human bodies, though. we're in physical bodies that also have their own rules, their own laws. There are gen there's, there's often a genetic component to some of these emotional conditions mm -hmm. there there's a biological component you know when certain parts of our brain uh, become stimulated a certain way you know we have an, an emotional brain it's called the limbic system and it has a hippocampus and an amygdala hippocampus is associated with memories the amygdala is associated with emotions intense emotions uh, particularly things like fear and uh, anger. And so when you combine that with memory, now infused with fear, anger, uh, panic even sometimes, you can see that in uh, human life, as we kind of meander, you know, from birth till until the end, mm -hmm. we, there's a lot of things that probably happened to many of us that overwhelm the capacity of our system to make sense of and to integrate, uh, particularly if there was something like abuse or some traumatic situation uh, where we actually felt threatened with death. And that's kind of the, known as the primal anxiety, fear of death. Yeah. Right? 
you know, you know, we have a million years of, or more of history, you know, going back to our animal, you know, years when we we're living in forest and something might jump out and eat us. Right? Yeah. And so that fear, that anxiety, that want, that want to protect the self from annihilation is something that's hardwired into every human being's nervous system. Right. At conscious, subconscious, and unconscious, and collective unconscious levels. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's bigger than we frequently know. We often just think about just you know, me and what I can remember, but it's you and everybody else and all that you cannot remember, mm-hmm. never remembered. But just because we can't remember it doesn't mean it's not affecting us. Right. Because everything has an energetic imprint, an, Im- an energetic signature. Nothing can exist really without it being configured from an energetic source or pattern of some sort mm-hmm. and we can feel that and so even when you walk into a room every room has its own ambiance its own feeling and one of the exercises i actually teach people to become more fully present in the present moment mm-hmm. is when every time you walk into a room stop for a moment and just notice without words the ambiance don't label it because that limits it and just but in your mind say hmm this room feels like mm, that, that feeling, whatever, and just notice it. And then when you walk from one room to the next room or one environment to the next environment, notice the change in the feeling, the change in the ambiance. And this will sensitize you to becoming very aware of being fully present in the present moment. And that's a very valuable skill. As we know, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. In, in terms of you know Taoist and Taoism thought and Taoist meditation, you know, you might say that almost is what we're what this Tao is all about. What this Tao is about is trying to be fully present in the present moment. But and if you aren't aware of the feeling, the ambiance of the present moment, you really aren't aware. Mm-hmm. And I think that many of us just walk through life without tuning into this. Certainly not every moment. Right, yeah. You know, if you walk down a dark alley at night and there's broken bottles around and you can smell booze, <laughs> yeah. well, you might have a little feeling of uh, wariness or anxiety or something. Mm-hmm. You walk into the Sistine Chapel, whoa. Feeling of awe. Yeah, again, you definitely notice it. But, but between those extremes, there's something to notice every moment. And by just paying attention to what you're noticing, uh, it, it heightens your capacity to fully be here now. Mm-hmm. It, it helps you become more one with the Tao. Right, right. Because right. the Tao is all of that every mm-hmm. second. And what does it do every second? It changes. Right. Right. It's never the way it was forever. You know? mm-hmm. It was for that moment, and then it changed. You know, reality is a moment. Just pass. Just pass. Quick, quick. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, let's see here. All right. Well, let's get on to our. Uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see here. So, the meaning. Yes. Yeah, so the the here's a question. That it. I mean, it's a weird thing to. It's such a broad, big question. But I think people often. Much much as we were talking about the last show, people, oh, I need to find my 
Give me one second. Let me adjust my headphones. People want to find the purpose. People, people, yeah. Well, people want to say, or you know, I want to find my true self, as we were the talking about the la- yeah. last show. And then also, people go on searches for the meaning of life, and people go to things like the Tao Te Ching or Taoism or Buddhism or any kind of or the Himalayas fun- and Nepal. <laughs> yeah, or they go to <laughs> India. You know, they go to you know different religions to try to find the meaning of life. You know, <laughs> and and I I tend to think. From I mean, and and I believe this is in alignment with the uh, Taoist ideas, but you can correct me after I make my point. Uh, that that life is pretty much not meaning is is meaningless. I think, and we, you know, there's no in in the sense that maybe in in certain religions it might be the meaning is to commune with God and then get His stamp of approval, and then you're on to heaven. Um, you know, and that's that's the goal of lots of like you know Judaism and Christianity. Or not, there's no there's no heaven in Judaism, but um, Christianity, or if you're a Muslim, um, so l- there's lots of religions where that's kind of the thing. Or mm-hmm. uh, if you're a Buddhist, to to reach nirvana, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to reach enlightenment. Um, and I I kind of came to this realization that I didn't think that there was a meaning to life, and. At first, it was kind of depressing to me because I thought, well, you know, I just, I'm just, I'm gonna die, and my consciousness will expire. Uh, eventually, I, you know, I will not exist. Uh, the planet will not exist. You know, eventually, all, all is for naught in a certain way, which was a very kind of depressing thought. You know, they, they say you die twice, the, you know, your last day on Earth, and then the last time someone mentions your name, hmm. right? And and I thought, well, then what's you know what's the point of me doing anything if everything is just kind of, you know, dust in the wind? If my life is like a Buddhist painting where it just gets dumped in the river, and I think that's a very depressing thought. And then I kind of came around on it, and I thought, oh wow, what's what's actually more beautiful than there being a concrete goal in life, like again making it to heaven, or if it was a materialistic goal, like, oh, I'll be totally satisfied once I have that mansion, and I, I marry my own Melania, and, <laughs> you know, I have all-encompassing power, then uh, then my life will be, you know, be fulfilled and, and all that. But I realized that the beautiful thing is that we get to create our own reason for being here, and it's our own kind of blank slate that we get to kind of create yes. our own thing, and that's, that's kind of what I've come, come mm-hmm. to as a belief. Now, I could be completely wrong. You know, but that's that's what I believe today, you know. And it's that word you said, then. See, once this happens, then I'll feel complete and satisfied and my life is worth worthwhile and has meaning then. And every time we say then, we just lost it. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Because then never really happens. No. <laughs> Then never really never happens. comes. And it never comes. So, is there a concrete meaning of life? If so, what is it? You know, I, I don't think so, because you know, meaning meaning involves feeling that one's life is purposeful. That there's a purpose, a meaning that can be perceived and then expressed somehow. Um, whereas I believe that in fact. It is intrinsic to just being alive and aware and awakened to living fully in the present moment and in alignment with nature and the great Tao itself. That's it. That is the meaning. That is the purpose. Because when we can do that, 
we have access to the totality of all of the unlimited billions of possibilities inherent in the universe. The universe is unlimited. There are no limits. But when we try to think that, oh, this is me, this is my identity, this is my purpose, this is my meaning, we took all of that, which was boundless, billions of meters of boundless stuff, and now we shrink it down into something bite-sized that mm. we could chew on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're right. You completely miss everything. If, if, yeah, that's right. When, when you have this kind of... Uh, I, that's, that's the interesting thing is that Taoism... And now, again, I'll say this again. I'm probably wrong about this, but it seems to me that Taoism is the one idea which its whole thing is to open us up to the entirety of reality. Again, yes. versus bite-sized, versus saying, hey... Here, here's here's the thing. No, no, no. The meaning of life is these ten rules, and you live by these ten rules, and then you're good, and you get the you get the the ticket to the to the next. You get the reward. Party. You get the reward of the next party. Then. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, but Taoism is like you know it's it, it expands your perspective, mm-hmm. expands yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the whole thing is just to be chipping away at these boundaries to become yes. more and more present. Yes. Versus. Stay focused on this little thing because nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. You know, the moment you put a meaning or a specific goal, you almost you negated the rest of reality. Exactly. exactly. The moment you say these are my people, you just got rid of all the other people on the planet, right? You know. That's why when you when you have let go of all of that, it's like in a sense you become not this or that, but no one. You become not. You don't have that over there. You have no thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't reside any particular place, right? You're nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And so you're no one, no thing, nowhere. You're at zero. But because you're at zero, you have access to the totality of everything that ever was, is, and ever shall be. Mm-hmm. Because time is spherical and circular. It's not linear from point A to point B like we tend to think here in the West so much. Mm-hmm. Now, to get there, many of us will have to shed layers and layers of ideas and expectations and judgments and material goals in order to return to this simple yet enriched form of being fully resonant with ourselves at the deepest and most expansive levels. Is it Lao Tzu says cleansing the primal vision? Cleansing the primal vision. Yes. Cleansing the primal vision. Uh, many, I'm sure, have been raised with all sorts of extrinsic objectives and goals, and maybe even upon attaining them, people often feel what? Empty, hollow. Right? Yeah. Is that all there is? <laughs> you know? I spent Let's break all... <laughs> out the booze and have a ball. I love that song. That song, that song makes me want to kill myself sometimes. There's a P.J. Harvey did a version of that. That's just wonderful. But yeah, every once in a while I'll hear that and I'll say, oh. And then I'll, someone played that in. I was in a... I was in a like a rednecky bar in Lakewood. And someone put that on. I was, I was getting uh, my car worked on. So I'm going to have a beer next door. I love getting my car worked on because it gives me an excuse to go have a beer. At night. <laughs> and I sit down and I'm having a beer, and someone plays that on the radio. And at first, I was like, 
oh, this is so depressing. And then I thought, oh, this is the most joyous thing. It's, it was that the Buddha said that the greatest joy in life is the fact that there's no joy in life. Something like that, you know? You know, so, you know, it's, again, it, it's almost an alchemy. You know, alchemy involves taking one element and commingling it, really aligning it with another element and another element, and then where one thing didn't uh, express something and two maybe didn't, but three, see, now there's enough perspective to see something in its entirety, okay? It's like if you're going somewhere, right? If you only have one point, you don't know where you are in relationship to anything else. Mm -hmm. You have two points, well, at least you could say, well, I'm going to move from here to there. You have three points, see, now it really adds depth and dimension and perspective. Right. right? And we, if we're to really become free of these labels, these expectations, these material, extrinsic, external things that we use to define ourselves, we, we need to have kind of built into our system this process of letting go and having at least these three ways of perceiving reality, not just from this and that or the other, but rather more like a circle, mm -hmm. an expanding connected circle that even once you reach the boundary that we can perceive of a circle, that's actually the start of another one. Mm. <laughs> okay. That's Your Olympic rings. Yeah, you actually see here on my walls, or in fact, right here behind you. See all those interconnected circles? Oh, yeah. It's called the flower of life. Okay? Mm. It's and unfolding. It's constantly unfolding. And um, that's the way life is. That, that, in fact, is the pattern of how life manifests and exists. That's the creative pattern, you might say. Mm -hmm. It's constantly expanding, unfolding, yet interconnected. Circles. Yeah. You know? And if we can feel and find in ourselves, because remember, if this is the pattern of all life everywhere, that includes us. <laughs> and so somewhere in ourself, we are that unfolding pattern of all life everywhere mm -hmm. because we're a part of the whole. Yeah. And the whole is part of us. Mm -hmm. right? It's like that drop of water in the ocean. Yeah. Can you really identify one drop as opposed to the next one next to it? Mm -hmm. Really? I don't think so. Yeah. We're a drop in the ocean, too. Totally unique, and yet very much like all the other drops in the ocean, too. All forms of consciousness are, have, are awake and aware, just like us. Right? Yeah. All things in existence are formed of these energetic patterns. Just like us, you know, we're, we're all this drop in this cosmic sea. Everything completely unique because there's nothing like anything else. But yet, there's all of these attributes, these qualities of energy and awareness that we do share. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think learning how to live with that, learning how to live with that sense that. Yes, I am unique, but yet I, I am part of the whole. Kind of, I think that's what that symbol that's also on the wall here, yin and yang, 
part of what it represents is that wholeness. And there's a line that runs down the middle. It's called the, you know, the ridge pole of the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that line between the dark and the light. And it's, there's always a spot of dark in the light and a spot of light in the dark because these, are, these things manifest each other. You know, mm-hmm. mut- it's called mutual unfolding. Yes, mutual rising. Mutual yeah. rising, right? And um, I think that's one of the reasons why I think the the, the notion of Taoism and the Tao Te Ching in particular has has been so popular for all of these for 2,500 years or so is because it's pointing to something that's so universal that everybody who ever had a kind of a thought about mm, who am I, why am I here, what's going on, what's going on, re- <laughs> can resonate with the with the way that. Lao Tzu wrote about these things because these are issues that are deep in the heart of every sentient being, whether here or anywhere else in the universe, because we're all, we're all in this mix, this incredible energetic unfolding mix. You know, we're all in this together, mm-hmm. and, but yet each one of us has is being completely unique because there's never been anyone just like you ever before. Right. <laughs> you're absolutely unique in this world. Out of billions, you're one of a kind. Yeah, <laughs> better or worse. <laughs> it just is what it is. But that's beautiful because that is part of that alchemy that creates reality. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's, when you mentioned unique but part of the whole, um, I was just reading a story that was, uh, was in a, a thing written by Derek Lynn. Ooh, we mm-hmm. tried to get on the show this week, but he was busy. Uh, and so, uh, in Derek Lynn, there's a story and about self. And I was reading it because of a previous discussion we had. It was trying to trying to learn something. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the this guy is talking to the master, and he's like, Who, you know, what is my true self? You know. So the master says, go fetch that bowl and go down to the river. And he says, okay. So he goes down and he brings water back from the river and shows it to the master. And the master goes, that's not the river. That's not the river water. And the student says, yes, it is. It, it is. You know, I just got, I swear, I'm not, I'm not pulling your leg. <laughs> and the master says, well, the river has fish in it. And it has uh, some uh, some moss in it. And there's sticks in it. And I, he's like, that, I don't see any of that in there. He goes, yes, but I got that. He goes, well, go, go back down. <laughs> and pour that water back into the river. So the guy goes back down, he pours back, and he brings him back an empty bowl. And he goes, now do you know what your true self is? He says, he goes, well, your body is the bowl. This universe around you is the river. Now, you are part of the river and everything, but not all components of it are in you, right? Mm-hmm. So you are a portion of this. Mm-hmm. You are... You are you are unique, but of the whole. Yes. Now, and then, and so, you know, this this whole universe is doing this dance, and we're just part of it doing this one little portion of the collective dance, right? Yes. And so that brings a bigger question to me, and I don't, I don't think we need to get that deep into it. Maybe it's a whole discussion for another time is, then at what point do we actually have free will? Is it doing... You know, is that Alan Watts says, do you do it or does it do you? <laughs> right? And and the question maybe I sometimes think that it, free will is just some kind of illusion <laughs> along along this path and that we're being pushed and pulled by chemistry, 
by everything, you know, what's your next stock going to be? You don't know. You don't know. And if you don't know, do you have free will? Are you controlling it? Hmm. Is your brain not just firing <laughs> off all of this and part of you is making sense of it? Could be. And during some, this is a PG show, but during some moments when I've been given party favors at a party or whatever, I've come up with this realization that I, it's, I'm doing it and it's doing me. We're just, you know, it's the, uh, it's the, it's the whole, the whole thing is moving. I may not have any free will in, in this whole thing. That's why, you know, I often feel, again, I always, I often talk about alchemy because the Taoists frequently talked about um, their practices as being alchemic. You know, where we're taking an experience as the basis of being more enlivened in the, in the present moment, which then, of course, is helping to birth the next moment which is enriched by the past moment, uh-huh. <laughs> savoring the present moment and helping to birth the next moment of awareness. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, like you said, it's this dance, this interactive, cosmic, alchemic, fluid dance where things are being while coming into being and then while leaving being the next moment. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So we're like entering, being, Becoming and letting go. Right. Entering, being, becoming, letting go. Just like the seasons. Mm-hmm. Right? We have spring, right? kind of a birth, and then a summer. Right? Things are maturing mm-hmm. and then reach fruition Right in the fall. Yeah. And then in the winter, whoo, goes back to uh, quiescence and to hibernation. Things fall off the tree and die only to be what reborn in the spring again yeah see that that's that cyclical nature of reality that the Taoists have always pointed to as being um, one way to understand the movement of life and that cycle also as i often say is much like a wave right Mm -hmm. and a wave has highs and has lows it goes up and down but those ups and downs keeps forward momentum going, right? Right. It's always moving. It never stops, right? Once it stops, it becomes just a stagnant pool, and that's when it becomes kind of rancid, right? <laughs> you know, I was just trying to think, it must be, you know, Lao Tzu was obviously not from California. <laughs> well, not it's some, it's very cold. It gets 62 degrees, <laughs> and then it moves up to 89 <laughs> degrees, and then it goes back... <laughs> the tree remains the same color the whole time. <laughs> there's two. There's there's two. There's actually two seasons. There's award season, and there's the rest of the year when you live in Los Angeles, right? Um, let's see. Well, I think that I hopefully, hopefully we we got that one down. But it was such a vast vast question. Yeah. Well, but, we'll, we'll have to certainly return to this forever because this is an endless topic. Yeah. And the Tao is always returning. They're always returning. The, the action of the Tao is to return to the source. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, doing this show is, 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 is one, one of the many, many, many reasons why I love it. It's because we'll say, we'll come to a certain point where one of us texts each other and goes, oh, we need to do more shows. Yes. So then we'll pick a date. And so, like, this time, it was, like, November 4th we're recording. And so, you know, like a month ahead of time. Now, what ha- usually happens is I'll be, con- I'll be on my 
routine. I'll be doing my meditation. I'll be, you know, reading the Tao Te Ching. I'll be kind of keeping my practice as mm-hmm. top of mind. And then once we go, we're going to do the show. Then I, 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 I kind of get lax <laughs> because <laughs> I know I'm going to have to get back on it by the time we start recording. <laughs> so it's like I become the devil. For two, like I hide, like uh, like in Hindus. You know, God hides and pretends like he's part of the universe, and then he wakes up. I kind of hide, and I become evil. And then I notice that my mind starts going dark. You know, I start going into that the trash part of the part of the brain, and then I come out of it during this. And so, yeah. it's, so, it's so it creates its own cycle of right. spiritual understanding. It's self-correcting. Yes. <laughs> but it's almost, it gives me permission to be naughty, you know. <laughs> so let's get to chapter 38 of the Tao Te Ching. And maybe you guys listening to the show, maybe it's that way too. Maybe we don't put anything out. And then and then uh, you hear we're coming back for a show, and then you can be lazy, and then, and, you know. <laughs> um, so. The, you know, the path, the, the it's not a straight line. No. <laughs> so, chapter 38. A truly good man is not aware of his goodness and is therefore good. A foolish man tries to be good and is therefore not good. A truly good man does nothing, yet leaves nothing undone. A foolish man is always doing, yet much remains to be done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When a truly kind man does something, he leaves nothing undone. When a just man does something, he leaves a great deal to be done. When a disciplinarian does something and no one responds, he rolls up his sleeves in an attempt to enforce order. Therefore, when Tao is lost, there is goodness. When goodness is lost, there is kindness. When kindness is lost, there is justice. When justice is lost, there is ritual. Now, ritual is the husk of faith and loyalty, the beginning of confusion. Knowledge of the future is only a flowery trapping of Tao. It is the beginning of folly. Therefore, the truly great man dwells on what is real and not what is on the surface, on the fruit and not the flower. Therefore, accept the one and reject the other. Mm. There's a lot wow. in here. That's a mouthful. You got, got, <laughs> got four days to unpack this one? <laughs> Maybe four lifetimes? <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, you know, I call this one of the I call it one of the power chapters of the Tao Te Ching ah. because there's so much there. Because <laughs> uh, it involves simply knowing and being one's true self as an embodiment of being at one with the Tao. No efforts are needed. No trying is needed. Uh, no knowing one is good. Uh, no doing is needed. Just not doing yet through wu-wei or effortless action, allowing things to simply be fully in their fullness and what they are without external hindrances or effort. So when Lao Tzu says, when the Tao is lost, there is goodness because the Tao or nature is good without having to know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, It just is. And ritual here refers to rules or customs or laws, you know, uh, whereas living in harmony with nature 
obviates their necessity. Right, yeah, yeah. So when you've uh, lost the way, that's when you need That's when you need all this structure. That's when you need the Ten Commandments, order. right? That's you, when you need the exact the rules. Yeah. Because you've already lost it. Yeah. <laughs> if everybody was already in order, we wouldn't have to have, you know, traffic cops. Right? Right. Because you'd look around and go, Oh, I need to stop here, I need to slow down there, you know. You'd be one with your environment mm -hmm. and being considerate of others. But because the people have lost the way or not on the way, then we need to have, you know, yeah. so apparently authority. This, this was true 2,500 years ago as it is today. Yeah, yeah. When Lao Tzu said these words way back when, you know, um, really quite beautiful. Um, and like I said, it, it really, I call this a power chapter because it's, it seems to encapsulate so many of the other chapters in the, in the whole book you know, that are gleaming on and, and examining one aspect or another of what he has woven in here uh, so well and on so many levels, mm -hmm. on so many levels. It's kind of like if, if the whole world just abided by spontaneous order, we oh. wouldn't need to impose these such things. I like the idea where it's, it's kind of about like shallow morality versus true virtue. Yes. Right? Exactly. So it's like... Not, not to pick apart Christianity, but if you say you look at, like, the Ten Commandments, right? And, you know, thou shalt not kill, right? Hard line, don't kill people, blah, blah, blah. Now, true virtue knows that just like in the yin and yang where there's that little bit of darkness in the light, mm -hmm. sometimes killing is okay, mm -hmm. right? If Ask a guy who was in World War II, <laughs> right? Or, you know, if there was a guy on the rooftop right here picking off kids with an AR-15, it's morally, it's okay to, uh, to kill him, right? Or, you know, thou shalt not steal. Well, if mom's going to die, if she doesn't get her diabetes medicine, maybe it's okay to steal from the pharmacist, right? So there's a deeper virtue going on, or it's like all the, all the people on Twitter where somebody makes like an off, off-color joke and the whole world wants to hang the person <laughs> and now because you violated this line yes right now a person of virtue would go well he violated that line but he was just making a joke we don't need to kill the guy but the person who needs to go by this some kind of petty moralizing is like <laughs> you crossed the line you said that word now we all need to hang you yep right it's yep. The, it's the difference between <laughs> you know it's the difference between kind of a shallow patriotism and people who really care for their country, right? Exactly. The guy goes, oh, my God, you kneeled for the anthem. You hate America. And doesn't look at the broad point the guy is trying to make, right? So, you know, there's... And so, yeah, that's the difference between the truly virtuous mm -hmm. person and then the person who's just uh, having to abide by the, the, this ritualistic thinking. Right. It's like we're constantly digging these little holes that we then have to crawl out of. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, trying mostly in the service of what? Ego. Yes. Right? You know, how we like to think of ourselves, how we want to think others think of ourselves, mm -hmm. how we want to think of others, right? What position and place we want to have ourselves in, other people in, and other people in relation to where we think we are and ourselves in position to where we think they are. It's all these things these relative values and value judgments going on all the time, mm -hmm. all in the service of the ego. You know? Right. And the ego only wants to prove that it is right, <laughs> mm -hmm. that its way of perceiving is, quote, the correct one, right. the one that feeds 
one's uh, sense of self-value or self-worth, which, of course, is why it's so nebulous mm -hmm. and so uh, fragile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, people's ego it, it tend to be very fragile. And once they feel slighted, oh, my goodness, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't go near them. Right. Right? They're going to have the daggers out. Right? Right. It's, and, it, oh, and, and again, the Lao Tzu was saying, you know, we, we, if you really are in align with your true inner nature and the true nature of the Tao, all of that is artificial. It's heavy. It's baggage. It's unnecessary. It's BS and it's bad for you, as George yeah. Carlin would say. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, what I, you know, what part of that ten-day gong that I talked about? Mm -hmm. what, some of the purposes of that was to bring into relief some of issues like this. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of them was like every day just practice simply observing your mind without any judgments about it. Just notice. Because usually, of course, we're filled with judgments oh, yeah. every second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for if we could let go of that, even for two minutes, just two minutes, it, it at least begins to inform us that there's another way possible. Mm -hmm. you know? Now, it's only the sage that can do this 24-7. Right. Uh, but, you know, everything has to start somewhere. Right. So I'm saying start with two minutes. Yeah. And then the, that, so this is the mind looking at itself. And then, besides yourself, when you open your eyes and you look out, what do you see? Things, other people, right? And what do we do immediately when we see something or someone? We immediately label it. Oh, that is a, well, yeah. Oh, there's a person. That person is a, mm. but is, is that true? Is that person, is all they are what you just thought they they were? No, people <laughs> contain multitudes. <laughs> and so the exercise is look around and say about anything you see, this has no name. It's just an object. For two minutes, just look around and label nothing. And just let it just be. Again, it's practice. It's practice kind of dis connecting from our judgment about ourself mm -hmm. and our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, and then doing the same thing for everything around us in our environment. Because if we can do that, we're free. Right. We're truly free. Because we, tip, we tend to exist in prisons that someone else has constructed for us mm -hmm. because they're making judgments <laughs> yeah. or one that we've made for ourselves. Yeah, the worst kind of prison. Yeah. So we, we tend to be either... Uh, a slave <laughs> mm -hmm. to others or ourself through attachment or a prisoner of ourself or others through an, through also through labeling judgments and attachments. Mm -hmm. you know? True freedom involves letting go of all of that yeah. and just being fully present in the present moment without expectations, with no thing, yeah. <laughs> nothing. <Yeah. laughs> it's called being at zero. Yeah, just to circle back real quick, I had a couple thoughts on that. Um, there was another translation I read, a Derek Lynn translation from the chapter, and um, there's one part where it says, high etiquette takes contrived action. High righteousness takes contrived action and acts with an agenda. So it's kind of like somebody who's uh, kind of self-righteous, 
um, it's a contrived thing. It's not necessarily. It's not coming from their heart. It's coming for what they call virtue signaling. Yes. <laughs> I I hate this more than you. I'm more tolerant than you, right? It's a form of self-righteousness, um, and, and it, it comes off as contrived. And the same thing, high etiquette takes contrived action. Like when you're watching Victorians sit down and eat, and you know, you've got... 15 different forks, right? That go on a, and so far, this kind of etiquette was created to make people civil, yeah. but it ends up creating this, you know, people don't need, you know, the, then the person of true virtue, like the sage, can act benevolently, act tolerant without the self-righteousness, and it's because it comes from a natural just being with the way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like... I, you, In fact, it's not an act. It, it just, right, yeah. It, it just is. Right, it's a, it's just part of their their nature, whereas these others are are like rituals. Yeah, it's like rituals. It's like, do I want my kid to be good or to to? It's like, do I want my kid to put his toys away because he fears me, mm-hmm. or do I want my kid to put his toys away because he goes, you know, my life is going to be so much better if I just had my toys in order and I could <laughs> find them, or you know, right. like I used to always do stuff like I'd have. 50 coffee cups in my car because I'd say to myself, and this is the contrived action. The contrived action is nobody's going to tell me what to do. (laughs) All these, you know, there's some kind of weird rebel in me. No one's going to tell me what to do. I can keep as many darn coffee cups in my car as I want. <laughs> now what happens is I'm driving around and my car sounds like Santa's sled because they're all clanging with each other. And that's contrived action. Right. Now, <laughs> later, you know, I, I said, well, you know what? My life's a real pain in the butt with all this coffee. I'll just bring it in every day. Oh wow, how easy is that? And so it's like, do, and it's like, do you do you want somebody to do good because they fear the wrath of God, or do you want them to do good because it is what's right and what's good? And you know, in China, that observation essentially became the distinction between the Taoist. And the followers of Confucius. Yes, yeah, okay. exactly, yeah. With all of these social etiquette, the order, the structured relationships, the again, the rituals okay, that became uh, embedded in society because, you know, much of Chinese society at the time was somewhat chaotic. You had mm-hmm. wars and, you know, emperors and uh, warlords and people, you know, fighting for power and prestige and position and property and on and on and on. Uh, sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Confucius said, no, we need, to, we need some structure here. We need some order here because this is chaotic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then Lao Tzu saying, well, you know, the order, if you will, should come from just the way of harmony with nature because nature cares equally for everything. Yeah. There's a natural order, and if we align ourselves with that, we don't need all these rules. Right, yeah. Everything would just take care of itself. Right. <laughs>